0: Hey yeah, guys, welcome back to a another fantastic episode of the Noobs Podcast. Today was a live event at the Brisbane Adreno wool and Gabber store. I've been getting out of in sport lately. I've been doing a bunch of these things. Tonight it was uh uh, three legends. We had Ben Eckhart, Adriana Barnes, and Trevor Kitchen. Um, ben Eckhart's an experienced Brizzy Spiro and bull sharks executive uh, committee member. He also holds a dynamic record in the pool. He chats about free dive safety of the spearfishing side of things. Adriana Barnes, um, she studied paramedic science. She's a highly experienced Spiro with a list of near misses that defy belief and certainly overqualify her for the chat she does about emergency first aid. And then Trevor Kitchen, well, He's a spearfishing voice from the wilderness. Uh, He makes highly educational, eccentric, and entertaining vids. Check out his YouTube channel, Submerged Psychos, Trevor chats Boating Safety, and uh, it's a fantastic episode today. I hope you really enjoy it. If you love it or you want to give me some feedback, always welcome to email me, shrek at com. Jump on the Noobspiro community on Facebook, follow Noobspiro on Instagram. Before we get to this episode, let's have a quick catch up from around the traps. Go to noobspiro.com if you want to leave a voice message for me. If you've got a new bit of equipment that you love, if you've had a, a near miss or a lesson that you've learned from the podcast and applied to your spearfishing, I'd love to hear about it. Go to NoobSphere.com, head up into the menu, find Nooba Stories and leave me a voice message for the show. Um, Today I've got a voice message from Chris Dillon from Spear Junkies. Um, have a listen to that at the end, back end of this episode. Great to catch up with Chris. I think he tried to send it in for uh, episode 200, but just arrived a little bit late, I think, due to spearing the poor bugger. But anyway, um, Simon Tripp sent me a, a bit of an info night. It's uh, the Kingfish Cup. It's it's coming in November, and there's an info night on the 3rd of November, which is a Thursday at 530 there's going to be mad like heaps of door prizes. Get in there. Go to this info night. Uh, it's going to be at the Adreno Sydney store, 3rd of November. Lock in Thursday at 5.30. And um, you guys are in for a treat down there in Sydney if you're involved. I might be able to get down there for that event too. Um Also, Carl from WA said, hey, thanks for the call the other week, Shrek. Sorry we only got to talk about boring stuff like fishing regs. The Jobfish tribute shirt has rocked up, and it's bloody awesome. Thanks. Uh, So cheers for that, Curly. Um, My mate Cam sent me uh, something he noticed on uh, Instagram. Cookies on the coast on Instagram. So cookie, like C-O-O-K-I-E, S O N T H E C O A S T. Cookies on the Coast on Instagram. Made up a Sparrow Dad cookie. It looks friggin' sick. Um, so great work there, Cookies on the Coast. Um, Ed from Killshot Spear Guns also sent me a bloody funny mention. Um, he sent me a book cover. It's called The Joy of Shreks. Explore your Shrek Shreksuali- Shre- Suality, um, ex- exploring Shrek cosplay in the bedroom. So, and the four words by Lord Farquhar. So, anyway, great stuff, Ed. I think that was a little while ago, but chief was I was having a laugh the other day. All well, good, let's get into today's episode Spearfishing Safety. We're doing freediving, we're doing emergencies, we're doing boating. Here we go, Trevor, Adriana, and Ben. Adreno.com.au, the home of recipes, blogs, videos, equipment reviews. And an obnoxiously large range of spearfishing equipment for frothers like you. Not only that, but spearfishing trips and courses, courses and trips that I sometimes get to go on. Check them out at adreno.com.au. It's a Sparrow's best friend. Check them out. And if you want to buy gear, pump in the code noobsparrow to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that online, in-store. Use the code noobsparrow, save some cash, and support the Noobsparrow podcast. Shop with adreno.com.au. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works. And you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech, on every snap of a Neptonics powerband and in every whiz of a Neptonics gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at naptonics.com, use the code noob10 to save 10%. G'day everyone, if you don't know me yet, my name's Isaac or Shrek, I host the Noob's Grow podcast. I get to chat with legends like this sort of every other day. Uh, I know many people have said hello to a few, so welcome along, it's awesome to have you. Um, tonight we're going to, we've got three experts, we've got Ben Eckhart, we're going to talk about freediving safety as, as it pertains to spearfishing. I've got Adriana, who we're going to chat about, um, medic first aid, particularly in a spearfishing context, and then I've got Trevor, and we'll pretty much just take the piss out of him for half an hour. No, we're going to talk boating safety, Uh, Trevor's learned a lot of lessons over the years, so it's going to be fun. Uh, We'll start with Ben, so what we'll do is we'll do about a 20-minute Q&A, and and then I'll throw the questions out to you guys, and um, feel free to pick his brain, it'll be, be fun, so Ben, you got nominated first mate, sorry about that.
1: Thanks mate, no no worries, I'm used to going last in most things, so it's nice to be first for once. You were first as the Dynamic
0: Bifins champion though in Australia, you hold the record with two other individuals or has it been broken?
1: Uh, no, it's been broken. No, no, yeah, so I, I hold the, the Dynamic Bifins record for and also uh, the dynamic record for for Paul as well.
0: Mm-mm. And we've got another a, a number of bu- Brisbane Bull Sharks members in the in the crowds. There are right?
1: a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. He had a heckle, I think. What's unique about
0: Brisbane Bull Sharks and how they uh, approach or deal with sparrows? Uh, Yeah, well,
1: I think. I mean the. the the club was essentially set up as a as a training group by the uh, the legendary Wayne Judge, who who many will know, uh, purely for a place for spiros to go and train in a really safe environment, mm. uh, learn proper techniques, learn a lot around safety. So um, we've got a you know we've got a really um, strict safety system at the Bull Sharks uh, that gives a lot of our members a, a really good base knowledge that they can take out. Um, when they're offshore spearfishing, mm. uh, and that just grew. I think it, it's attracted that most of the club is made up of uh, either um, spearos or um, or members that want to get into spearing, that uh, mm. they really want to learn how to do it safely first, and and meet other like-minded, uh, you know, individuals to to mm. build a bit of a network.
0: So you're a competitive freediver, but you're also a Spearow. This seems like a, a delicate.
1: It's the Dance. other way around. I'm a Spiro and and then a competitive Ooh, free diver. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, no, I've been spearing for you know 20 odd years. I only I found free diving and the bull sharks five, six, seven years ago uh, with Wayne, uh, and I I joined for the exact reason I just said. I just wanted somewhere to, to train when I couldn't get offshore, um, uh, and the you know the weather didn't facilitate me being able to get out for a dive. Uh, just to kind of uh, sustain my kind of dive fitness uh, and I pretty quickly fell in love with the free diving side of um, of the sport uh, I found it really challenging uh, it's uh, you learn a lot about yourself because a lot of it's mental yeah. um, and uh, and I found that uh, I think for me a lot of years spearing gave me a really kind of good base fitness for free diving and allowed me to um, to pick it up pretty quickly and, and mm. do reasonably well at it. So um, I, I, I love both sides of it, the spearing and mm. the freediving side.
0: With the knowledge that you gained from sort of formal freediving training, going back out in a spearfishing boat, what were some of the common mistakes that you see <coughs> spearos making with, with regards to specifically the freediving aspect to spearfishing?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I see, see those, all the mistakes I made for years and probably still do on occasion, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, I think the big one for me, if I reflect, probably the biggest learning and I see uh, a lot of spearos probably don't do it well is being a really good buddy. Um, I think we all know, stating the obvious, the biggest risk in spearfishing is is on the freediving side of things and that's the risk of um, a blackout or a hypoxic event Uh, and it's so easy to avoid... A catastrophic outcome in that scenario and that is having a, a really good buddy with you watching you that's competent mm. uh and i think that's what um the free diving side and the club teaches really well is how to do that how to how to safety well how to look for the signs of of you know potential blackout or hypoxia and um and also uh you know and then and also how to rescue if you do if mm. you do um come across something like that so you know i think all too often, and as I said, I've I've been guilty of it. You see, so many spiros just buddy up in the boat and then jump in the water and just go off in different directions. I think that's a still still a big um, big risk that a, a lot of uh, a lot of people take.
0: So, what system do you follow to make sure you and your buddy stick
1: together? I've gotten a lot. Be- I, I got a lot better when I had kids. To be honest, uh, I think that kind of gives you some perspective. Uh, I, I really like the one that um, and a lot of my, my friends and I use a lot. Uh, I heard it on your podcast years ago, and I, I can't remember who it was, then, and it's um, whoever's diving leads. So um, you stick together, you watch every dive, and whoever's turn it is to dive, they get to dictate where they go, uh, and you've just got to follow them, and then the next dive, it's the other, the other person's turn. So mm. we'll do that if there's any contention, but I think most of the time, if you've got a really good group of dive buddies, you know each other really well, you tend to, you know, you tend to look for the similar spots and similar pressure points and you dive to similar depths. So it's, it becomes pretty easy to, to be a good buddy in that scenario.
0: Okay, cool. I could shit here and talk about all the ways that that goes wrong. But I, I want to move through our questions list. I really like um, this one. When you're on the boat, there's a lot of different points we probably shouldn't dive because of fatigue dehydration etc cetera, etc cetera. can you go through a few of those and how we know when to stop what are your sort of rule rules of thumb
1: yeah, so i mean i mean all the ones you mentioned are really good ones um and really obvious ones and you, you really just need to know yourself and um kind of, you, your body's going to give you those those signals. Just I think,
0: the, the colour of your urine in the wetsuit with dehydration yeah,
1: yeah, well, yeah, absolutely <laughs> Or
0: does the smell change? I'm
1: not a wetsuit peer uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm definitely not a wetsuit peer um, I'm probably the 0.5% that says that and means it. That he it. lies about no. 0.5%
0: that lie about. Uh, you'll,
1: you'll ask the guys I dive with because they get sick of having to either stop or um, constantly on the ride out because so I can take my wetsuit off and Piss, but uh,
0: I'm a free diver. Yeah. I don't piss in my suit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, I have to try that one. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to upgrading a suit with a, one of the p the p tubes. That's that's my next purchase. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor always looks. Do you have a wetsuit on here. or just yeah. Trevor oh, will a be wetsuit on that scenario? Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Trevor
0: will be on the throttle, and he'll look over at you and say. I'm peeing now, <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much every dive trip. Uh,
1: look, I think some some obvious ones. If you're sick, uh, if you've got clogged sinuses, um, probably a good good thing to avoid diving. You can really cause yourself a fair bit of injury, um, like barotrauma injury with your sinuses and your um, and your ears. Uh, the real obvious one is if you have been diving um, and you've you know you potentially had a samba or or worst case scenario, a blackout, that's a definite, you just, you stop diving. It's Mm. too risky.
0: How do you know you've had a samba or you've been on the edge of a hypoxic event?
1: Yeah, so sometimes as the diver, it's a little bit hard to tell. Mm. You may not realize, Mm. but again, why it's really important to have a, a competent, buddy with you, because they're the ones that are gonna most likely be able to tell the signs. Um, there's a lot of signs of it. The, the really obvious one, if you have a Samba, it's, exa- it's called a Samba because you do a bit of a dance and you come up and you, you, you lose motor control and you shake around. Um, eyes rolling back into your head. Um, even on the way up, you can usually tell if a diver, I'm sure there's a few people here that have experienced this, uh, is in trouble. You know, They're really erratic kicking. They start doing the, the pulls with the arms or they drop their gun, they drop their weight belt. Um, but the, the obvious physiological signs are um, shaking, eyes rolling back in the head, um, potentially vomiting and starting to get sick, um, which is a bit hard sometimes when, you, you know, when you've put seasickness into it. Uh, but they're probably the, the main obvious signs. So
0: potentially, right, you're out on a dive boat, you're with three people you haven't dived with. Um, and if this is too close to home for anyone... Please, I'm not having a shot at anyone or anything. You're, you're out with three different people you don't know. One of them does show signs of a, of a samba. Uh, you're the skipper though. What do, what do you do in that situation?
1: Yeah, well, look, um, I've never been in the situation where I've had to enforce an outcome like mm. that because um, uh, if I've ever um, been with someone that's had a hypoxia event, they, they realize it and they know the dangers. Um, if I was Skipper, I think you've just got to, you've got to call it a day if it's going to cause an issue, um, mm. uh, as Skipper, you're responsible for your, for your crew and the divers. Um, I'd hope that, uh, you know, just, a, some, some really gentle encouragement for that individual to just call it a day, jump on the boat, be boaty, get some water into you and just rest up, uh, is enough to allow the others to dive. But I think if there's any question of, of not being able to achieve that, then you just, you call it and you, you head in. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's not worth the risk. You just ruin everyone's day. But. A
0: lot of um, sparrow's experience seasickness to one degree or another. I, I'm not one of them. Um, I'm grateful for that. I am. But I've, I've seen the fruits of it. I've yeah. seen people curled up in a ball and I've seen, <laughs> you know, all sorts of signs of frailty and weakness. <clears throat> Um, no 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 I, I feel I feel for them <laughs> I feel for them, but I generally keep diving. yeah, but I generally keep diving. Um, if those people choose to jump back in the water because there 's that old saying like oh you 've just got to tough it out and you 'll be sweet. Um, how do you know when you 're too sick
1: yeah that's that's a really good question. I think um, again you 're probably hard unless you're you're the person that 's experiencing it. I mean if you 're constantly vomiting and you can 't hold down. Any fluids, then that's a bad sign because your hydration is going to be really hard. Um, I think when you start experiencing all the other effects of dehydration, you know, cramps, um, constant vomiting, um, you know, really losing a lot of energy, getting really cold, I think they're all signs that um, you shouldn't you shouldn't keep diving. Mm -hmm. Um, But it you know I think it's 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 a really it's a good one it's a good question it's really difficult (laughs) it's hard sometimes when you're
0: on a fringe season and the water's too cold but you just don't want to put on that five mil because it's just too much weight and too Mm -hmm. much hassle so you stay in your three mil but you do get cold after three or four hours and sometimes cold sets in and I've been guilty of continuing diving um speak to that if you can like what, what are you what's your recommendation?
2: Uh,
1: I think we'll warm up. I think you you lose what is it? You lose about twenty five percent of your, your body temperature. Um, yeah. When so you,
0: maybe like get Trevor to pee in my suit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cuddles. <laughs> cuddles with Trevor. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. yeah urinate on, on your mate. Maybe. Right. Might that be. both. But I think yeah. Um, uh, get some sugar into you. Get yep. warm. Uh, I think the faster you warm up. So I think once your core temperature drops too much, then you're in mm. then you're in a lot of trouble. Because it's going to be really hard to bring it back up.
0: I have like a massive boat jacket. Yeah, I got some... an
1: UDI. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those that don't have an UDI, there's there's Will sitting in the audience here. Um, first time he tried my UDI on, he went out and bought one. They are wow, uh, they're magical. Game changers. Yeah, game changers. Yeah, smooth, oh, got... smooth skin wetsuit and an UDI, and you're you're set. Yeah, I
0: know. Smooth skin. That doesn't sound very Spiro. It sounds
1: more Fredo. Oh, come on. No, it's got camo on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's all right. Where can people connect with the Bullsharks? You said they were a Brisbane club.
1: They are, yeah. Wow. Brisbane Club, yeah. Uh, the, name, the name is a little bit cryptic. Uh, yeah. So we're, you don't uh, have
0: to show up on time, that's what I like.
1: No, you don't, yeah. Most of us show up pretty late and then just chat through the whole training session. Yeah. There's not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of uh, diving that's actually done. So. Is that a shot of me? No, it's, oh. it's not. We miss you, Shrek. You need to come back. Uh, Far out. Because there's no, there's no one to. Like oh,
0: nothing better than ruining so, ruining someone's breathing for <laughs> some big epic <laughs> swim. There's, there's nothing better.
1: Um. Uh, yeah. So uh, based in Brisbane, we, we train at the Fortitude Valley Pool a couple of nights a week, and, and on the weekends, uh, you can. The best way to contact us is on uh, on Facebook. Um, to the group, it's an open group, uh, so you can join there. There's plenty of information on um, how to get involved with the club. It's a great great club. I think we're the uh, the largest just uh, free diving club in australia now with um which is fantastic and uh made up of a lot of spiros i was joking
0: about the culture one thing i loved about it was uh it's always welcoming particularly to new people you guys have got a really awesome induction and i think if a spiro goes and just does the induction alone at least they know how to rescue their mate yeah uh, which is yeah. huge so uh where can people connect with you personally are you on instagram
1: uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm probably not uh, too active on it, but just my name, Ben.Eckett, on, on Instagram and on Facebook as, as well.
0: Okay, cool. We might open up for a bit of Q&A mm-hmm. about freediving safety specific to spearfishing uh, and any personal questions you have for Ben too, like the nastier, the better. So.
1: Yeah, I like the personal ones. Nah,
0: no, we've got a number of bull sharks, so that's for them. Um, did you guys have any the panel, any questions
1: from the panel for Ben?
3: How did you get out of your wedding anniversary?
1: i'll I'll tell you after mate yeah it's complicated
0: any questions guys just a show of hands i'll bring the mic how come you
1: don't pee in your suit uh, because that's that's a of questions. there's a lot of reasons uh the smell uh, the smell when the suit dries, or when you get in the car at the end of the day with everybody else—like you can always tell. As soon as you get back on the boat, and you can tell who's pissed in their wetsuit. I just don't want to be that person. That's uh, why you I, don't, I don't know why I care because I don't think I've ever come across anyone else that doesn't pee in their wetsuits. Everyone smells the same.
0: It's a little bit like jujitsu, you know. The end of it, anyway. <laughs> Any other questions, guys?
4: Thanks for your talk, Ben. That was awesome. Um, obviously, there's a lot of factors you're talking about that affect uh, how long you can dive out in the ocean, like temperature, dehydration, etc. Do you have any, um, like, personal, I guess, ways to – like, anything you eat or drink that helps prolong your dive time, like any kind of specific electrolytes –
1: or uh, yeah, there's a, so there's a few things. Uh, I try to have, I, I eat breakfast. I try to have kind of a light light breakfast oats or something like that that's just like slow release type thing that's not going to make me too full or, or too fatty that's going to sit them Sit in my stomach um, I don't have too many electrolytes until maybe later in the day so I drink a lot of water through the morning and um, and then when I know I'm starting to lose a fair bit that's when I'll start replacing them with the salts and the electrolytes and that kind of thing um, in terms of relaxation like quite often just spearing on the way out nice just deep slow heavy breathing uh, I will stretch as well I think stretching really, really helps and really important, particularly when you start doing some, just some lung, lung stretches, stretching kind of your rib cage in that area. It just makes it a lot more comfortable. Uh, and then the, the last thing for me, I think is just relaxation. So um, in between dives, just really taking your time, plenty of, um, plenty of recovery, just no hyperventilation, just nice, slow breathing, and just trying and enjoy being in the water. Um, and not rushing things. I think those kind of things combine are what I... They're probably the key things I try and focus on. I don't eat too much during the day They're just snakes usually. Yeah.
0: Got time for probably one more question and then we're on to Adriana over this side. I reckon they're just making me walk. I am. I am. You mentioned with the hypoxia and, and such forth about you know, back on the boat relaxing. At what point should you start looking at uh, seeking other medical attention if you've had someone that's gone through a hypoxic event?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. We were having that discussion earlier in terms of um, most of the time, if you have a hypoxic event, you're going to recover fairly well. Um, Not to say that's it diving for the day. Um, I think if you have a longer, so if you black out, and it's a longer blackout, so say more than say 15, 20 seconds, um, anything over that, I, I would be encouraging you to, to seek medical attention, particularly if there's a risk that you've taken water in. So um, I think a big, uh, a, a lot of spiros might not know, but um, a, a big risk is keeping your snorkel in your mouth. Cause if you do um, blackout, your airways are open and you can get water down into your lungs. That's why you always take your, take your snorkel out. Cause when you're blackout you'll tend to you won't take water but so I think there's a risk of water if you're coughing a lot you're vomiting um, absolutely seek medical attention Um, and if you've had a prolonged blackout I would absolutely head straight and just get checked out I think there's a there's a great video that um, Jack and Az did from um, back to basics I think um, I think it was Jack that had the blackout wasn't it so no it was Az had blackout and it was quite a 45 seconds and I think he when he did go and get checked out and if I remember correctly they found that he did have water on the lungs so it was quite a long blackout um, and there's a huge risk of secondary drowning and all sorts of things so
0: yeah secondary drowning is a thing I don't know much about it no, other than you've got water in the wrong place yeah and um, yeah there's long-term yeah. issues yeah
1: I'm so far from being a doctor so don't <laughs> please don't take this as medical advice
0: <laughs> so what you say oh no, <laughs> I on won't, yeah I won't make that joke it's inappropriate great news guys Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the new Spiro community if you get on freedivingfamily.com use the code Spiro you'll get 20% off any course there's a bunch of sick courses on there there's an equalizing uh, stage one there's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there that are two of my absolute favorites if you have any problems with equalizing go to freedivingfamily.com Get Adam's course and use the code Spiro to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at NoobSpiro.com forward slash Audible. Over a hundred and eighty thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone or Android phone. Get amongst it, NoobSpiro.com forward slash Audible. Free trial, free book no-brainer at com forward slash audible in the world of freedive spearfishing there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times but there is a way to do it safer and smarter take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there learn at noobspero.com forward slash ted with ted hardy from immersion freediving if you take down more fuel you can stay for longer learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal ted breaks it down for you with a free online course noobspero.com forward slash ted take down 20 to 30 percent more air just by learning how to take a full breath again learn how to do it free at noobspero.com forward slash ted um let's move on to adriana So, Adriana, for people that don't know, like what do you do day to day? What's your job?
4: Um, So I'm a paramedic with Queensland Ambulance Service. I'm actually very excited at the moment. I've just started a critical care internship literally this week. So I'm up in Brisbane at QOSAC, so I shared emergency services beginning this year-long journey so I've done my undergrad degree I've been a paramedic for about 10 years I've just done a postgraduate degree in critical care medicine and I'm about to have a year of absolute hell so it's nice to be able to sit here and smile because I don't think it'll happen again for a while or So <laughs> awesome so yeah
0: professionally that's what you do but you've also been spearfishing a long time I heard you actually shot what would have been the woman's world record dog tooth tuna as well is that is oh, that official
4: i doubt that um <laughs> i had the opportunity to chase some big doggies over in africa when i was there and in tanzania and latham island um, oh, which nice. was awesome yeah. so some big dog did, tooth did you tuna meet over there. eric allard i did eric is oh, yeah, lovely yeah i actually went on a trip with him so yes he was very helpful i the, think i actually shot a world record long nose over there if i had to long nose emperor wow I had to have a little bit of a about something that was probably the best fish I've ever shot (laughs) um and Eric was really disappointed because we ended up we carved it up and ate it for dinner and he's like oh my god because I think obviously having a charter business over there it would have been nice for him to yeah yeah have that weighed in (laughs) but we ate it and it was delicious
0: nevertheless you 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 come very highly regarded as a sparrow I've had you on my target hit list to as a podcast guest for a probably three or four years, and a couple of people have mentioned your name, so it's real awesome to have you here tonight. Um, you have a passion about spearing safety, particularly about first aid. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the events that you've experienced that have made you so active about this issue?
4: I should say that. I, when I was asked to do this, I thought I had to prepare and I prepared some stuff and then I was told, no, don't prepare. So I let it all go, but I did write some things down and now I'd wish I'd had more preparation, but I just thought this was hilarious. <laughs> I literally wrote down a list of things and talking about safety that I've had. So I've had easily over 20 or 30 stitches, various places of my body. Um, I've dislocated my shoulder. I've been trapped under a cray ledge and I couldn't get out. I've stabbed myself in the face. I've been lost. I've had multiple infections. I've been charged by sharks. I've been hit by boats twice. Um, I've been dragged to the bottom in about 15 metres with rope around my neck by a big kingfish. Um, I burst an eardrum. I've been pounded on a tropical reef in Tonga, um, and I've had pretty decent hypothermia. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank
2: you. You're getting your a handshake, from and Trevor. I, think I
4: have missed a few things, but yeah, I. Um, that's
0: respectful. I think you. <laughs> yeah. You might have topped Trevor's list there. He was like,
4: oh yeah, 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 and then he's I, like, I don't Whoa. know what that says about. It. I'm just an absolute idiot, yeah. but I think that's why. Yeah, it's. I'm pretty passionate about safety, and it's awesome to sit next to Ben and listen to him because I. Could not be more opposite. I've had absolutely no training. I'm completely self-taught. Um, my style is probably atrocious. If I've ever seen myself on video, it's like it's appalling to watch. I know there's some free divers here that are um, probably have beautiful technique that would pull me apart, and that's fine. But I think it's it's also nice to have different representatives. It's not mm. there's not, not only one journey to spearfishing. This. Lots, so,
2: mm-hmm.
4: yeah.
0: So Spiros are renowned as being super prepared for medical emergencies. We've always got really good first aid kits <laughs> in our boats and Trevor goes to training every two weeks. Um, what are some of the things you see us frequently doing wrong in our community and how can we turn this thing around?
4: Um, just already talking tonight, there's a lot of is- issues identified and um, there's some really interesting Talking about squeezes and blackout and sambas and there's so much interesting pathophysiology involved in that, which I love to talk about. You can nerd on about that for ages. But then all of your, your actual trauma, so your knife injuries, which are a big one, um, and then all the big stuff, sharks and everything else. Um, you hadn't been hit by a propeller. This is for you for the future. Yeah, and that's... <laughs> I know. Uh, actually, we probably uh, as spiros. We're probably, oh, have you been hit by a prop? No, I just
3: don't think you should wish. That. <laughs> no, you shouldn't wish that We've on anyone. No. Things to the list.
4: Well, she was talking about trauma,
0: and I was like, "There's another example of something that does happen in our community because I've seen yeah. it a number of times."
4: Yeah, I, there's been some massive injuries on the Gold Coast with, um, yeah, people being hit by props, and that's mm-hmm. not just spiros. That's in mm-hmm. swimming and everything else. So, yeah, that is a significant risk, and the more I think we—I heard somewhere recently in Southeast Queensland, like we have the highest number of boats per capita of people with recreational boats, and you know when you go out, there's so many boats out there, so it is a really high risk.
0: But, uh. So trauma and blackout we've covered in depth. What are some of the other major first aid emergencies we might see up?
4: Um, I'm not quite sure. I've I had a few things that I, w- I don't know what people are particularly interested in hearing. Again, I know we talked a little bit about. Blackout but I think there's a lot that we can do on top of maybe what you've learned in your free diving course or what you've learned in your first aid course in that space, um, which I can talk about or So
0: emergency oxygen defibs. yeah and
4: I, I thought about the reality of this and most people aren't going to have oxygen on their boat yeah. um, but when you think about first of all again as a, as a pure spear never having done any free diving I think You've got to be really careful with that crossover. There seems to be the more people do freediving courses, I feel like there's become a level of tolerance for like an LMC or loss of motor yeah. control or a blackout. It's almost, it, I'm worried that it's becoming normalised. Like This is not an event that we should ever accept or tolerate. Obviously, it's going to happen, but don't get into the danger of thinking too lightly about it. What you're talking about is a hypoxic a seizure or a hypoxic blackout. Yeah. Um you know, the mechanism of secondary drowning and everything else. And then those risks of uh, I've I've been going down a wormhole listening to all of Shrek's podcast recently. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And um, there's there's so many brilliant minds that that talk about these things, but um, there's this sort of common thing, particularly in spearfishing where people um, say that, you know, a lot of people do dive, by. I dive by myself quite a bit, I will admit, and a lot of people do that and say, oh, I don't push my limits. But then when I go out with a buddy, I feel like I can dive to my maximum. And um, from my perspective, I would argue that not everyone, I know the vast proportion of people have that sort of hypoxic event close to the surface or on the surface, but that doesn't always happen to everyone. And with poor visibility, there's more risk in getting distance away from your partner. If you're diving at your maximum, as someone on the surface, and this has certainly happened to me, that when you see that event happen, you're not going to be at your best. You have that, all of that stimulus goes straight to your amygdala, straight to your brainstem, and your heart rate goes through the roof, your blood pressure goes through the roof, your respiratory rate goes through the roof. And these are things not conducive to you doing your best dive and your best performance to go down to the bottom to retrieve your body. So Mm. it's just something we have to think about differently. I think we should have a lot lower threshold for these hypoxic events. Mm. um and my thought would be your day's over like if someone's looking at having an event like that if you feel like someone's unwell if they look cyanosed, if they're blue around the lips if they're not responding normally if anyone's at risk for any reason or unwell just go home it's not worth it like everyone has something more important you know people at home that love them something more important than their lives we've got to take this stuff more seriously I think just because it's the danger is we've normalized it a bit so that's something that I've noticed.
0: Hmm, it's a good thought. So I think sometimes as, as sparrows, we're we're quite risk tolerant people.
4: Yeah, then, I was yeah.
0: And then so sometimes we look at things and we hear things like this and it is easier to we come to terms with our own mortality, I think, sometimes. Well yeah. at least all our workmates think so. Yeah. You
4: know, like absolutely. as soon as, as
0: soon as you talk to them about spearfishing, it's always how long can you hold your breath and what do you do about sharks? You know, they you two questions. Yeah. And then. we can talk about shark wrangling later with trevor um yeah it's it's interesting so okay so we've normalized um hypoxic events it's a good thought so you you think we should all just be scaling our efforts back a bit Um, a lot of brisbane diving is pretty hectic
4: yeah we just live in a unique part of the world we've got currents and all these crazy conditions and quite deep water and often dirty conditions and i'm uh, let me i'm just talking worst case scenario so i i i from the outset, I've said I've taken lots of risks. Or I want to say risks. Like, we all have that sort of a bit of an alpha personality. I think as spiros, we all have similar traits. We all enjoy hunting. and But I think, yeah, ideally we should bring the focus on what we're doing, which is hunting and, like, the fish. It's not... Social media has a lot to blame, I think, for that. Everyone focuses on depth and time and those sort of things. But yeah, let's bring it back to what we're there for, which is fishing. I think some of the best bureaus are by no means the best divers. They just have a real passion and understand fish behaviour and currents and conditions. And um, I think that's yeah, the nature of our sport. But I'm sorry, I'm getting away from the first aid. No, son. no, so we'll love come back it, love to it. that.
0: Let's talk about trauma though, because. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us have seen people stab themselves and uh, it's a pretty yeah. common one. Um, there's a number of ways you can easily sort of cut yourself open. Um, I made a bad joke about propellers earlier that Trevor didn't approve of. Um, there's sharks. There's all sorts of reasons why we can experience uh, major trauma, major cuts and abrasions and worse. Um, how do we treat that um,
4: um obviously you've got to titrate your response to what you're looking at so your small cuts and wounds and those sort of things a major risk is going to be infection but you also want to stop that bleeding and get on with your day so having a basic first aid kit with some bandages and i think if you're in the water like sometimes i don't know if people know those compression bandages like you use for envenomations and snake bites those kind of things can be quite good that's
0: a are they the israeli bandages yeah
4: or? so israeli bandages are good as well that's like if you've got like a laceration or a bigger sort of cut or abrasion, they've actually got like an inbuilt sort of gauze pad in them and quite um, elastic sort of bandage and they're self-locking. That's something that's come from sort of uh, military, yeah, Mm. military technology. We carry them in the QAS and they're an awesome thing that you could have. All of these things are kind of available um, to buy online. That's probably a pretty good thing to have.
0: Actually, well, before we even talk about, first aid supplies, where do you buy all your stuff from? Obviously you've got, you know, occupational sort of access these days, but for, yeah. for the average sort of Joe Schmo, like I know tacmed is a place where I buy stuff from. Yeah. I've got a bit to do with Dan Pronk um,
4: yeah.
0: through corrections training. Yeah. Um, but for your average person, off punter off the street, where, do, where should they stock their first aid kit from and how probably, should they think about their first aid kit?
4: Probably the same at the moment. Like everything else, I... Don't make me say that I'm procuring things from work. (laughs) um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, QAS, I have not procured things from work. Um, But, yeah, there are a lot of – I actually had to have a look myself. I've never done a first aid course. It's probably the biggest mistake I've made up until, obviously, becoming a paramedic. It was something I deeply regret. It would have been hugely beneficial. But I think a lot of people are on that path or have done it. If you haven't done one, it's absolutely critical if you ever even want to step onto a boat. Um, But in terms of for that reason and also because I do what I do, I'm not really well-versed in where people buy their devices. But I have – so I know um, Shrek and also Jeremy asked me to bring um, one of these tourniquets along, and that's an example of one. To the best of my knowledge, these things can be bought online. Um, And I have – I had a little bit of a look at the literature on these kind of things just to see what sort of evidence there is for how well a lay person or someone without any medical background can use these things, and it's actually pretty good. So. Um, it's hard to... I'm not a doctor. I don't want to advise people to have particular devices or things on their boat, but some things are really critical mm. and I'm not talking for your cuts and your knives and those sort of things. So, um, But when you're talking about prop injuries and shark injuries, they are a very real risk and something like this can absolutely be life-saving. Okay. So, How
0: do we use it?
4: Um, Maybe you'd like do to do a bit out, of a demo?
0: Yeah, let's pick out a volunteer.
4: Excellent. Can I put this down? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, there's just... Oh, I'll keep talking no, for no, a bit. No, okay. There has been a real interest in these. I'm not quite sure why. I've seen a couple of people talk about it. There's maybe a dude in California that's diving. Yeah, He says he carries them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's important with everything that you do get in terms of any sort of medical device or first aid equipment, you got to understand, yeah, it's great to have. There's also risks associated with some of these things. Um, when you're talking about trauma and particularly hemorrhage, um, you really want to understand what a major hemorrhage is and what an arterial bleed looks like. Um, Across the board, even medical professionals, the evidence has shown that we have a real tendency to overestimate the amount of blood loss. Mm. So, you know, you think if I, this was something a little more viscous or looking like blood and I spilled it on the ground, it's going to look massive, it's going to go everywhere. But it's about 500 mils and that's something that, as adults, most of us can tolerate. Obviously, we we'll want to arrest that bleeding. Um, and if we can do so, that's great. But it's this kind of injuries where this is the kind of thing you want to use. She's got to be close, <laughs> It's getting sorry, scary. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> where you really have something where direct pressure or someone else can't hold and stop that bleeding. It's just something that either the individual is too unwell to control or the injury is too severe that you can't control it with direct pressure or a bleeding sort of approximately an artery which can be difficult particularly if it's a leg you want to get up there in femoral artery and trying to clear that but that can be very difficult and if you're trying to get a boat home or get someone back to shore this is the kind of thing so your big prop injuries your shark injuries is where you would use this tourniquet um,
0: I, I had a guest on the show um, and his brother was bitten by the bull shark at um, Indian Head. Yeah. And uh, the bull shark bit his femoral artery and he bled out. Yeah. Um, getting a tourniquet up that high and applying it correctly in an open ocean situation. Yeah. Is absolutely like, And
4: something like that is near impossible, but mm-hmm. it goes, these things are absolutely time critical. So if you know how to use it and can get it on in time. So the risk, sorry, just to finish that, you know pick your injury, like if it's something minor and you put this on, this has a risk of it's a severe device, it can break a bone by putting it on. It, can, it is incredibly painful. It can cause ischemia, so lack of blood flow, obviously that's a point to your lower limb and that can cause severe and permanent damage to that leg or arm or whatever you're putting it on. So make sure that you know the risks and mm-hmm. choose the right time to use it. And I think you're gonna know. So I'm gonna put this on your arm while you hold the microphone in my face. Um, everyone can have a play with these anyway. I bought a couple, so it's obviously you're gonna struggle to see from here. It's not gonna translate well in a podcast, but it's got a very simple clip that you can kind of put it around and tighten. This is also from a military sort of, um, uh, this has come from military technology as well. So most of these trauma equipment that we use in ambulance comes from military. So really simple device to put on this. I'm not gonna do it because it's too much.
0: Just just while you're talking, um, if you go on Amazon or online, if you type in combat action tourniquet, these things come up everywhere for about ten dollars yeah so they're exactly not, a, not an expensive. Is,
4: yeah special operations for it's, I love the way it's called soft tourniquet special operation <laughs> forces tourniquet um, it is anything but soft so keep that in mind it's got all metal componentry it's really good quality but it means you'll buy it once you'll have it in your boat forever Essentially by twisting this metal bar, you're just compressing this and you want to do that until if you've got an arterial bleed and you'll know because it'll be painting the walls or like bursting out into the sky, you want to twist this on until that bleeding stops. Mm. So that that's your indication and then you'll just have that there where you can lock it off. Critical thing with these is once it's on, just keep an eye on it, make sure that bleeding stops. you are going to see possibly that distal part of the limb going blue, discoloured, you're going to lose feeling in yeah. it. It's going to be gnarly, but you're saving someone's life.
0: I um, recommend buying a three-pack and then you just pull one out and have a right, real good play with it because, yeah. you know, like there's that military, military do a lot of good stuff that is applicable in first aid and emergency situations. Like you don't rise to the level of your expectations, you fall to the level of your training. If you've never done a shallow water blackout rescue, if you've never put a tourniquet on in a calm event, you're probably not going to have much success in an emergency event. These are like two really basic things I think every Spiro could do is learn how to put a tourniquet on and then learn how to do a shallow water blackout rescue.
4: Yeah, definitely. And practice it. If you're going to have something on your boat, practice using it every couple of weeks or couple of months, get it out, practice. It's the same with us in the service. Like we sort of very low frequency, high acuity medicine. We've got all these devices and the last thing you want to do when it's happening is go, oh my God, how do I put this on again? Because time is critical. So. I think it's a great idea if you want to have this in carrier, just make sure you know how to use it. And yeah, mm. the, the likelihood is it'll live in your boat forever and you'll never use it. But one day it could save someone's life. So,
0: Yeah, cool. Um, AUFQ ran some subsidized training for members a few years ago. I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but um, that's a really good thing. If you can get involved in any of that emergency first aid for Spiros, it's a, a great thing to do.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, cool. So tourniquets, we've talked about compression bandages, Israeli bandages. Let's talk specifically about first aid kits. And then we'll go to an audience Q and A and the panel Q and A.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, in a spearfishing boat, um, you see a lot of shit in first aid kits, like band-aids and yeah. buddy, you know, all the stuff that you just kind of like, yeah, it's not essential. I personally think that you should have minimum supplies in there, but the stuff you need, mm-hmm. what should we have in our first aid kits?
4: I wish I put some thought into this. Yeah, there's lots of good things that you can... Obviously, bandages, though. So things like band-aids are probably not going to do much. You're in a wet environment if you've got a small cart, those bits and pieces. So more of your bigger ticket items. Um, I'd love... Sorry. Sorry.
3: Mine's tape, super glue, and a tourniquet.
4: Yeah, super glue is great, actually. for I've used that for, you know, kind of <laughs> stitching up lacerations and those kind of things. So do you find it works when it in a wet environment though and yeah particularly the
3: loctite you do for your fins the 406
4: yeah right yeah, you
3: put that on either side stick it together and you're usually stuck to the wound as well but it works very
4: nice. yeah <laughs> that's probably not sound medical advice but yeah is a bomb for that kind of stuff yeah
3: yeah okay,
4: okay. um it's
3: not to repair the wound it's to get them back to medical attention kind
4: of thing. i yeah i would contend that sometimes if you're a long way offshore as well or if you're i've been in situations where you've been out on an island or something and you're staying overnight and they can be like a good kind of infield patch sort of situation that can certainly help.
1: Yeah.
0: We were out on an Eastern Voyager um, trip off Gladstone and someone um, managed to stab themselves with a knife. (coughs) Um, (laughs) And um, Who who was it? uh, His name's Wayne. Yeah. um, Wayne Judge. And no, nah, it was like it, it goes to show, like even experienced people make mistakes and stuff happens. He was he was chopping off, you know. So I think yeah. sometimes Trevor's way of thinking, like, okay, what do we need to immediately triage this person so they're okay for like two hours until they get proper medical attention, yeah. without super glue, um, you know? But sometimes when spiros travel, like a lot of spiros love to get out and. Know, go to Indonesia, remote islands, and stuff like that. Like, you need to pack a different first aid kit for that, obviously. But yeah, um, infections
4: yeah. are a real thing in those kind of tropical environments as well, particularly with coral cuts and those sort of things. Just and if you're on liverboard, so just get completely out of control, mm. and you can be in places where you don't have access to sort of good health care and good options. So, I know why you say that comes to mind. Like, someone like Rick Tripp up in Darwin, I know that he carries a whole range of things that he's had. Sh- he's obviously got them from a doctor under a license and he carries for sort of acute envenomations and those sort of injuries, which are also absolutely life-threatening. So he carries some drugs and medications. So if you happen to be in an unusual area or be diving in those kind of areas, there is ways of actually procuring a appropriate drugs he's a
0: um, he's a funny guy eh? yeah one of his, uh, uh, this is an aside sorry he he captured a, a sea snake and a and a lionfish fighting on the surface in the harbor there and it made <laughs> the front page of their newspaper but like this <laughs> deadly fight that he caught on a smartphone <laughs> he's a very interesting guy yeah um for the average punter though probably can't get access to a lot of that stuff so um we talked about compression bandages again um and then having a tourniquet. Oh. He likes super glue and tape. What else?
4: The other thing that just came to mind, um, and this is really critical when you're thinking about blood loss and hemorrhage as well, is we carry a great thing at work. It's an active warming blanket. Temperature uh, is completely critical. I mean, it's critical when you're diving anyway to just maintain good health and normothermia, but um, the combination of of blood loss and and hypoxia hypoxia and then hypothermia is absolutely deadly. So the issue with dropping your body temperature and not having the ability to warm yourself up, it it causes problems with your coagulation. So you're not gonna be able to clot properly. That's gonna increase that risk of hemorrhage. Um, It affects, so if you've been diving in apnea, you've got sort of increased, become sort of more in an acidotic state so your your ph drops in your blood and these are sort of like a triad of things that occur that really affect the outcome so when you think about blood loss as well you should be thinking about keeping that person as warm as possible and that can be really critically difficult in a boat we don't Mm -hmm. always have you're wet so by nature and you're moving so you've got that sort of cooling system already which is working against you um so something we carry at work which is brilliant we haven't had it for you know i've had it for a few years but you know, we used to have those silver space blankets? Yeah, yeah. Which are okay, but these things are so much better because they're in a um, like a sealed plastic bag. So just by nature of opening that bag and opening this thing out, there's it's a sheet full of heat pads that yeah. are activated just by contact with air and they warm up. This would be a fantastic thing, honestly, to have on a boat at –
0: can you wait, wait, Do you know where you can buy them?
4: I, I think I had a look at these as well. So these are the kind of things you can buy online. I can actually, I should actually, uh, shoot if you guys had set me up a little better, I would have done yeah. a, a little research. I'll but take if anyone blame. wants to, yeah. I'll I, take
0: responsibility. I sure. can
4: give you that information sh- and you yeah, can put sh- it up. Shoot yeah, shoot me
0: through the list of your stuff. And what yeah. I'll do is I'll link it up in today's show notes. So, um, And give me your best tourniquet, your best compression bandages. Yeah. Trevor, give me your best. Super glue and your best tape. And I'll link it all up in today's show notes. It'll be noobspero.com forward slash adreno. Yeah, yeah cool. And then I'll just, um, I'll link up anything we've chatted about. That way people have got easy reference. So yeah. cool. let's go to some QA and really get people to pick your brain. No personal questions. So you're not
3: Ben. So.
4: Okay. Right. Thank you.
3: Um, guys, questions? Is it Shrek? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned before there was some training, first aid training for trauma situations while spearing. Is that, how do you get on that?
0: Um, if you're a member of a spearfishing club that's part of the AUFQ, um, they used to subsidize it. I'm not sure if it still happens on uh, an annual, annual. It does, okay, so that's, yeah, they still subsidize it. So I think annually they run a training and everyone gets sent an email and you just get an opportunity to jump in. I think it was free for me when I did it, so. What's that? 20 bucks, that's
4: average.
0: 20 bucks, that's pretty good for a full day of training and it's highly relevant. Uh, Just shopping for tourniquets online, I noticed a lot of are designed where you actually write down the time. Yeah. I was curious, in a medical perspective, how important is that?
4: Um, I guess it's important for us. Ideally, you want to get somewhere there as quickly as possible. But uh, So when you cause ischemia to a limb or the distal portion of a limb, once you have a tourniquet on it, that ischemia over time is going to cause some cell death. It's going to affect the want of a better word, the physiology in that leg. So as that time increases, one, it, it puts that limb at risk. So it's good, you know, if, once you get them to definitive care at a hospital, they want to know how long that's been on. The other thing is probably for reperfusion injury. So when that is removed, the the sort of physiological changes that have happened to your leg that you'll have sort of electrolytes and, and things that have moved out of the cell and into your bloodstream that flows back up into your systemic circulation, and because of that, that can have significantly adverse effects, so arrhythmias, heart problems, those sort of things. Clotting. Yeah, all all those sort of things. So that's why when you get someone to definitive care, they're going to want to know. I think for yourself, if you're ever using one, you're probably not going to get out a pen and write the time. Or, Mm -hmm. yeah, you just, like, you won't have the bandwidth. And I probably won't, even for myself, with that kind of trauma, you you don't have the bandwidth. Ideally, that's great if you know what time you put it on, and doctors will want to know that, but... If you don't, it's not a big deal.
0: It's actually a good thought, like critical information that you need to hand on to paramedics, like um, yeah. any of these trauma situations. So you're talking time of, of when injury happened, then time where you applied a tourniquet. Is there any other information we need to pay attention to in that situation?
4: Um, actually, most things you can think of are pertinent. i was just trying to think. Of it. There's so many things like that we could talk about. And then before we started, we were talking about lung squeeze and the physiology of that and... Yeah, that, I don't even know it. where to start. It's a huge question. Um, as much information as you can give is is probably what they want to you know. Time? They don't need a big elaborate story about how there was this fish here and that, super, all this stuff. Yeah, like things what brand to look is super for. Blue, so. Yeah, I've, things. There are simple things I wish I could without sort of running a course and having a mannequin there's simple things that you can do that can really make a difference and anything that you have done or anything that you've observed in that person that's pertinent to hand over so
0: cool I reckon two more questions guys here we go it's a great talk so far Um, just what really got me at the start was when you were talking about all your near mishaps (laughs) and um, like I like learning from other people's mistakes so how did you get out of the one around the neck um, with the, the kingy and did you
4: get the kingy That coincided. I love this question. uh, That's another one I'd like to know too. Me getting pulled under also coincided with me stabbing myself in the face, and I was so green. Like I'd probably been spearing for about a year, Um, and it's the first time I'd shot a big fish, and obviously the first time I'd shot a kingy. and I had no idea about how powerful they were. So I made that classic, like classic rookie mistake. Of, I had a float line, I had line, I was just pulling it in, like trying to get this fish in, didn't let it play out at all, didn't shoot it well, so it had tons of go in it. Um, surrounded myself in rig line and then it sort of got within a couple of metres of the surface and just did what kingies do, which is just charge for the bottom and just one of those, you know, I was tangled in line everywhere and just one of them went straight around my neck and pulled me to the bottom. So, of course, I had a panic, which... It's amazing, like with experience, you just, no matter what happens in the water anymore, like I just, I don't have any sense of panic. You just kind of deal with what happens. But at that stage, I pulled my knife straight out of my belt and had it in this hand and tried to grab at the line at the same time and stab myself in the face. So I've got this really cool... I love this scar. It's just a reminder of just one of the dumb things that I've done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I did land the fish and I've got this epic photo I'm holding. It's this 20 kilo kingie, and I've just got blood like pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the hospital after that.
0: So after you stabbed your... Self in the face. Did you manage to get your knife under the rig line?
4: No, I ended up, like, we basically got to the bottom and I ended up being able to, I didn't even realise, it didn't feel anything really. It kind of chinked into the bottom of my jaw and then kind of popped out again. So Crazy. So right up into the bone. And, um, yeah, but by that time, it kind of fish ran around a bit and it just loosened off enough that I flipped it back over my head. So.
0: And then Tyrone was asking about uh, getting stuck under the cray ledge. What happened there?
4: Um. Yeah, I was in Victoria and I was only probably in about five meters of water, but I had a notorious shoulder that would dislocate constantly for years. That I, but those beautiful southern crays, like those real big models, and I'd been, I'm useless at catching crays. It's just never been something I've been good at. Like, I love the idea of it, but they're just, I don't know. Do
0: you think because in Queensland we just shoot them?
4: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'd, I hate how hopeless I am. And I was with a bunch of guys that were excellent at it and they're just pulling in cray after cray and I hadn't got one. Yeah, I was like, oh. So I got really fixated on this one giant cray and I was, climbed all the way under the sledge and had a hold of it and then, yeah, I was sort of backing out and just if anyone's ever dislocated their shoulder like an anterior dislocation, the more you do it, the more easily. Do, and those overhead kind of mechanisms are the best way to do it. So my shoulder popped out and I'm hanging onto the cray and I couldn't move his arm and then I couldn't get out and I was like... So I almost lost it in five metres of water. So
0: Did you get the cray?
4: Didn't get the cray. <laughs> oh, and the best thing was I got back in the boat and um, I don't think any of my mates would ever said I wasn't crying because I lost the cray, but I had that moment of like, I need to have surgery. I'd been putting it off for 10 years, and I was like, I almost died because I haven't had surgery, so I got on the boat, and I was just like, I was crying in frustration, and all my mates were just like, oh my god, I can't, they just star patterned off off the side of the boat, like, we don't know how to do it, she's crying, let's go <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Spiros, an emotional Yeah, that it's was
4: the one way. and only time I was like, oh
0: does the, does the Bruce Willis like die Hard move with your shoulder into the wall?
4: Yeah, I did that on the boat because was like, yeah, because I had to climb back in. I was just sheer frustration. I'm not much of a cryer, but I was just so frustrated and I'd like hold my ass back into the boat and I'm trying to get my shoulder back in. I was like, no oh, help from I'm anyone, no sympathy.
0: <laughs> I'm getting you back for a full interview at some stage, Adriana, but maybe one last question and then we're going to move on to Trevor and boating safety. Anyone else for Adriana? Safety, first aid? You are just mentioning about how um, you can tell signs of people when they're getting tired or they shouldn't be diving anymore. Uh, obviously, if someone's going to sit there and say, yeah, I'm tired or I've had a bad dive, that's obviously something. But you said about blue around their lips and stuff like that. Any other signs you can sort of look? Because as we know, we all want to keep diving and yeah. get the best fish and whatever. But yeah, younger people have, have just started Yeah, they don't want to stay out of the water. Yeah, definitely. I think I started off really
4: doom and gloom. And I'm all about, I think my journey of learning to spear was diving on my own and I made my own way. So I would never put someone off doing that. It's a brilliant thing. Like it's been the biggest joy ever. But to some extent, you've got to self-manage. So it's really hard to tell people, you know, you probably should stop. But certainly like that, blue around the lips, that is central cyanosis. So you are getting hypoxemic. So when people talk about hypoxia, that is a lack of oxygen to your tissues, to so your brain, to your organs, that sort of thing. And that's when you see blackout. But hypoxemia is that, is the road to that. It's just your hemoglobin doesn't have that oxygen saturation and that, that's a really sinister sign, that cyanosis that blew around your lips. Again, everyone's got their opinion on their level of tolerance for it. But I think if that's, you know, take a bit of time out. I'm not saying you have to go home, but just be aware. That that's not a good sign. That's not okay. If you see someone like that, so I just jump back in the boat and have a rest for a bit. What, what other sort of things? that visual um, they can be quite pallid. I get like quite pale. They've obviously have a change in respiratory rate. So you know it's going to be elevated. I'm just. It can be difficult because a lot of them are for sort of finer physiological changes that you're not going to see in someone else. But people should be aware if they feel a little bit. Spacey, if they feel sort of like they can't concentrate, or if they're a little bit confused, like confusion is essentially that's altering your level of consciousness. If you just have that kind of moment, or if you feel a bit forgetful, or if you can't recall like a certain period, that's a really sinister sign.
0: That feels um, like I should stop my podcast halfway through. Most of the time, to be honest.
4: <laughs> yeah, I should stop my day halfway through.
0: But, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it's um, a good question. It's a good serious thought. Yeah. Yeah, Cool. Um, Any more questions for Adriana from the panel, Ben, Trev, on emergency first
1: aid? Just just going back to um, information to give to like caregivers later on if you have an incident. Is there benefit in knowing your blood type? because I got no idea what my blood type is. Uh, is that beneficial or not? Not critical?
4: probably not. Like in a okay. critical situation, so I think it's, there is a universal blood donor type so you can get blood products. Right, okay. And actually now even in Queensland ambulance, we have I was telling Ben before, we have an incredibly progressive ambulance service in Queensland. We're really lucky. Our medical director has uh, gives us a lot of autonomy and scope of practice and we have uh, a high acuity response unit in Southeast Queensland. So one based in Brisbane, one based on the Gold Coast that carry or can access blood blood, uh, blood blood products that they can provide pre-hospitally. So there is a lot of early activation of emergency services is critical. We've got VMR, so we can get out to you. We've got choppers, we've got everything and we've got like a virtual hospital at our disposal if they're activated quick enough. So, mm. yeah.
0: And the green whistle.
4: And the
0: green whistle, yeah, everyone loves the green whistle. Yeah, I won't recount some of the prison stories, but... (laughs) Boom, 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 I want you in my... Oh, no. I've got... Oh, no. Oops, I meant to be recording adverts for Audible. Today's show sponsors, I can't get over it. You busted me singing my favourite classic song, from Finger Boys. Anyway, I've got a bunch of books that I'm listening to on Audible right now, and I reckon you should too. Uh, Breath or Breathe, I'm not sure what it is actually. I think it's Breath, the New Science for a Lost Art by James Nestor. Um, phenomenal information here about breathing. And I think James came about this sort of this idea from his background learning how to free dive. Um, check that out on Audible at noobespiro.com forward slash audible for free. Noobspiro.com forward slash audible. Free trial, free book, no brainer. That's noobsperra.com forward slash audible. Do you like to penetrate? Great news. Penetrator Fins, today's Noobsperra podcast sponsor are tough as nails robust dependable performance with beyond industry standard warranty communicate direct with larry and his team 24 7 for all your fin inquiries at penetratorfins.com or at penetrator fins on instagram Baby bum finish these things are smooth as silk they glide through the water they give you that awesome balance between power and efficiency this is penetrator fins Use the code ANOOBSPIROW to save $25 on any pair of penetrator fins at penetratorfins.com. That's right, use the code ANOOBSPIROW to save $25 on any pair of penetrator fins at penetratorfins.com. Let's move move on to Trevor. We're going to talk boating safety and everyone's got some Trevor stories. I hope not. (laughs) Trevor, you've been spearfishing in Brisbane for a long time um you taught me a lot of stuff about boating and uh, i wasn't even invited back after the first few times how do you know when not to take your boat out
3: it kind of depends on the the boat itself and your capabilities as a skipper and kind of like everyone's been saying with diving you need to stay within your limitations and learn your limitations uh, which can be tricky and unfortunately most people only learn that like myself when you go beyond your limitations and you break something or something has a headache or doesn't quite work. Um, So it can be tricky at times. Is
0: it one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, like you're better off being an understudy, like being on other good skippers' boats and then sort of learning like monkey see, monkey do?
3: It certainly does help. And the other one that has kind of died out of the sport is we used to always start off in little boats, like you're in a tinny with a small outboard and you'd go out and you'd learn how to drive a smaller boat, and then you'd upgrade and upgrade and kind of move along and learn from other people. Um, It seems to be a lot more now that people can buy these bigger, better, flasher boats and kind of go way offshore really, really quickly, but you haven't actually learnt that grassroots, that base knowledge of reading the waves and getting the hang of the the conditions around you. Mm.
0: The old check-in with the Coast Guard or the VMR. Um, I reckon I've been out on at least 20 different spearfishing boats. I think we've radioed into the Coast Guard or VMR twice. Unfortunately, like that's for your sign on, sign off. You know, like you you tell them your vessel name, how many people are on board, when you expect to arrive back conservatively, and then you rate you sign off when you come back in. But we just we don't do it. Like
3: it's a great thing to do. Unfortunately, the way the system works is notoriously difficult for spearfishing because most of us you're leaving before the sun's up, before the recorder's actually at the VMR to take your call. So you're just radioing an answering machine and you don't have a time of return and you don't have a proposed destination. You're, you're going to go out and see where the conditions are good and go there and hopefully get back by six o'clock. But who knows, there could be some job fish on at sunset and you decide to stay that little bit longer and then next thing there's a helicopter out looking for you. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. But <laughs> if you can, it is a good thing to do. But it can also have, um, it can also be tricky. Very tricky as a spear fisherman.
0: Can't can you be conservative and say, look, we're well, well. There's four of us in the boat. It's four a.m. We're headed out. Well, this is the rough area where we're going. We're going to like North Stradbroke, for example. Um, we're going to be back at seven p.m.
3: You certainly can, and if you want, you can do that. We used to radio in personally, but then I had minor issues with fisheries and I'd radio in and then they'd be waiting for us. So we stopped radioing in at that stage. Um, there were false accusations, I should say, um, but it can be difficult at times as well. Okay, well, But yes, it, you, it is a good idea to have someone looking for you. Uh, what we use nowadays is we will tell a relative of whoever the boat diver is and then they can call up if it gets to eight o'clock at night and we're not home kind of thing. Hmm. So there is someone who is expecting us somewhere at some point.
0: I reckon single-handedly you've probably taught maybe more people how to be decent boaties in Brisbane than most other people ever. Um, what, what are your sort of core, like, okay, here's day one of you being a skipper on the boat, this is what
3: you need to know? Uh, The first and most important rule is always don't do anything else whatsoever while you're boating, apart from being the boaty. Your job is to keep the boat within range of your divers and to watch your divers. That's not line fishing, not having a nap, not having liaisons with your girlfriend. None of those things. It's just to watch the divers in the water.
0: But what if you're seasick and you're really sleepy? Stand up.
3: You never sit in a boat. We specifically take all the seats out of our boats so that sitting down and falling asleep isn't an issue because I've chased a few boats with sleeping boaties and Mm. we get in trouble. When
0: people get seasick, though, they get really sleepy. too. I've seen it a couple of times, so I'm not having a crack
3: at them, Mm. but... Like it's a serious job being a Bodhi. Oh, 100%. And I suffer from seasickness and I have to take like four to five seasickness tablets a day. So that's saying it from myself. You always stand up. You don't hold on to things. And that way, if you do get on the nod, you fall on your face and you wake up. And then you can keep doing your job.
0: Okay, cool. Um, Reading the
3: weather. uh, Different in
0: different parts of the world. In our corner of the world, uh, what are the apps? What's your sort of go-to how, how, how far forward are you sort of planning a trip and
3: what is when is a weather forecast beginning to become reliable? Uh, during the time you're on the water. Uh, there's a lot of great apps now that forecast and they're brilliant and I'll give you a rough idea. Um, it's still always good to learn how to actually read the proper synoptic charts and get into kind of learning what that high is going to affect that low and how it could ruin or make your day happy. Uh, but the other one is funnily enough, talk to hang gliders and they'll teach you all about the different clouds and how that particular cloud is going to make air do a certain thing. And that way you can be out there during the day and you look up, you're like, oh, that cloud is angry. (laughs) and you can actually make a decision like, should we head for land? Should we head more towards that system so that the swell's a bit better? Or should we just like bail? So it's just learning. And it's very different for different parts of the world. But unfortunately with Brisbane, we've got a few like, the wrong word but vortex areas like cape where it can be five knots less than 10 kilometers away inside the bay but at cape it's just blowing 25 knots because two systems are meeting and it's just pushing off that headland and you can get destroyed and then it's pristine like 2k that way and 2k that way Mm. so it can be a bit tricky
1: Mm.
0: so this is also how you go out in conditions that other people wouldn't consider as well when you are able to understand that It might not be as simple as the
3: forecast is saying. Sometimes. And sometimes you can get it horrifically wrong and break boats and ribs Mm. and things like that. But uh, learning the areas and learning how the wind and swell is going to affect that particular place and then also learning your bars and times to cross and tides. Like it's never a good idea if you've got a big run out tide, even if it's only a little swell coming in. If it's a particularly bad coastal bar, it can get nasty during that runout tide. So mm. then planning your day around that. So instead of forcing yourself to come back when it's at its worst, you can go, well, as long as we're back by three, it's not going to get terrible till 3.15. So we'll just make sure we're back at three and then we'll be fine. So apart from sort of
0: becoming a meteorologist in the first year, what are some easy shortcuts for cabbages like me that can master them in a relatively short period of time and not kill themselves?
3: Fair enough. Uh, the main one is learning your swells and seas. So if your swell is southeasterly and your sea is coming from the south, then most of the stuff you're gonna be hitting from the day is gonna be coming from that south southeasterly direction. So depending on how your boat rides most boats like going head into the swell or following so you can plan your day out so you go out and you go okay so today i'm going to launch from this is going to be difficult on a podcast, task but let's say we're going to launch from the sunshine coast uh the swell is going to be coming at us from the saui so as i come out of the sunshine coast it'll be better to go towards murphy's that's going to give us a better swell direction the swell's a bit angry we can travel there do our dive and travel home without getting too punished whereas if you plan to go out and then sit broadside to it all day you're just going to get punished and take a lot more damage so okay. it's kind of just getting the hang of that and manipulating it to your own advantage okay so apps what apps are we using i use windy personally because it'll it's not great but it gives you a better wind forecast because it's more designed for your surfers and your kites what do they call it? Kite surfing, windsurfing, one of the words. Anyway, the op, yeah, um, is a good one. Sea breeze is okay, but it's definitely more uh, orientated about advertising. So early in the week, it will always tell you that the weekend is going to be pristine. And then you see this ad for going and buying something. So it's not so reliable until it gets closer to the time. Um, what about Willy Weather? Willy Weather has its advantages. I like the name. It's, a uh, little bit phallic, uh, but it... <laughs> phallic weather. Again, really That's weather really because it makes its money... It sounds so um, paranoid, but it makes its money off advertising. The further out, it will always be telling you that it's going to be better than it probably actually is. Yeah. Uh, whereas Bomb... Is always a good base note to go back to because Bomb doesn't care. It's government department. It'll always go for that 10, 20% worse and be like, you're all going to die on Saturday. <laughs> uh, so it's always good to kind of take a spectrum and then find the average. Mm. In uh, 99
0: Spare Recipes, I wrote the word pizzled in the introduction and I got told off by like three different editors. Um, it's good to be around someone else that appreciates phallic vocabulary. <laughs> Do you know what pizzled is?
3: I like the sound of the word. I don't know what it is, but if you want to go get pizzled later, like, we can set something up.
0: Like, it's a bull penis. So, no, I don't want
3: to get
4: it. <laughs> We
3: can have that, some Rocky Mountain oysters. We'll have the yeah. ultimate dinner. All
0: right. Um, on a boat, too, we have like getting someone to move around in a boat. Um, just basic controls. What are some, some things that we can do to not, um,
3: what do you call it when the water comes over the back and you just, (laughs) uh, so yeah, learning your boat and learning someone else's boat is always very important. Um, the biggest one safety wise is particularly with modern boats, you have fly by wire controls and there is no clunk and lock into neutral anymore. So if you're not paying attention, it's very easy to go from forward straight into reverse. And if you've got a diver jumping off the back, it can end very poorly. Now, mm. um, the other one, like you say, is so taking waves. How, how do you know when these fly well you're in neutral? It's the feel and the sound of the motor. And no. always, if you're getting on a new boat that you haven't driven or been in before, always get the skipper to kind of run you through the throttles because there's no. some really old boats like mine with a motor that's older than me that even locks into like 2000 RPM as a trolling motor. So mm. if you don't know that's going to happen and you're boatying, next thing you're heading off at 2000 RPM while we're stuck in the water and you can't even get out of gear. So every boat has its little things. Uh, yeah. je ne sais quoi. but and it's good to ask them about that so yeah fly by wire is a, a tricky one the other one like you say with waves over the back that's not decelerating and stopping instantaneously when you're in a following sea or even with a boat with a deep V otherwise the wave that you're making in your wake will actually catch up to you and kind of fill into the boat what do they call that
0: again? there's a word, there's a particular verb when you flood the boat from the back and
3: daisy. I forgot forgot the word.
0: Yeah, the other thing, like like sometimes people have divers in the water and then they just chuck it in reverse and just try and fang straight at them and um, you you got such a low...
3: uh, Unfortunately, boats are designed to go forwards. Um, So certain boats you can reverse, particularly ones that have had pods extended and Mm. a higher (laughs) stern. Uh, But for most things, it's always better to turn around and come back to your divers. Um, Same one when you're picking up a diver or driving around divers make sure you see all of the divers heads before you even start moving your boat otherwise you don't know you could have a diver come up under you or anywhere and it's the like what when you said the prop before that's probably the most dangerous thing spearfishing is mm. your own boat and other boats propellers they'll mess you up
0: mm. yeah 100 percent. like um one of the most simple things that i like on a boat is when the skipper just goes clear or neutral or just something loud and clear and then we're all agreed and then it's, we can jump yeah. over. Because sometimes you, you've got a precise drift line that you want to get dropped on. And then if if they don't tell you at the right time to jump over, you're 20 metres past and you're on a shit drift or whatever. So And you, then
3: it's my drift and I land on the right spot, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but Some yes. Sparrow's
0: are really deliberately shitty boaties too, I reckon.
3: I don't know if it's deliberate. Learning to read a sounder and getting the hang of working out, okay, if I stop here, they're going to hit that there with the wind blowing me this way and the current going that way. That takes a lot of practice. And when I started, (laughs) it was a bit different. If you wanted to go on a spearfishing boat, because there wasn't that many, for the first six months, you didn't get to actually dive. Mm. You were just there driving the boat for the older blokes and learning how to do that and just getting the hang of being on a boat, knowing everything. And then you started getting to get in the water. And it was a very different way of getting into the sport. It was more like an internship, an mm. apprenticeship than mm. just getting to go out. So I was lucky. I got to learn a lot of things off a lot of older gentlemen that that was just kind of how you learned. It was pre... Well, there was a little bit of social media, but it was my space, so it was kind of useless. And it was a very different learning environment back then.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, like I think I've been on at least 20 different spearfishing boats and I think I've probably been given like... Two sort of basic orientations out of 20. Um, That's like, oh, the flares are there, the first aid kit's there, and these are the basic controls. Why don't we do that?
3: Do you do that? 4 a.m. doesn't really, like, give you time to give someone an orientation. uh, When it's my own boats, when we get out to wherever we're heading, because I'll usually drive the boat out, I'll usually try and, yeah, just make sure everyone is comfortable driving the boat and run through where you can find all the bits and pieces Uh, it is something that when you do your boat licence it is actually your responsibility as the skipper to always tell everyone on the boat where everything is particularly if they're going to get searched later on which is how I had to get (laughs) into the habit so you'd be in the water fisheries would pull over jump on your boat and go where are the life jackets and if the guy on the boat says I don't know that's an automatic fine oh wow so and it's your responsibility as the skipper to make sure that everyone on that boat knows where those things are so it is definitely a good thing to do not something you do see a lot of unfortunately are they in date 2019 no yeah 2023 20, <laughs> you get a permanent marker, you change a few things here a few things there they're good to go again <laughs> activating an e perb. have you ever had to do it i was in the water the few times where it's had to happen um, and it's not too bad with e perbs, it also is a good idea and it's not something a lot of people do is actually register it to your vessel that way they know what they're looking for if you do activate the ePERB. How do you do that? Uh, you go online and there is a thing with AMSA and you put in your red your what your vessel is, what the color is, your registration number, and it's actually assigned to your EPUB. Oh. So if it sets off and they have then also your phone number so they can try and contact you and your you can pick a radio channel. Um, and With Vodafone, things. they can't call me. Oh, definitely not. Mm. Um, and then yeah, they can call your next of kin and go, "Hey, is this happening?" And there's a lot of things they do then before they come search for you instantly. Could I be liable for defamation for that? For Vodafone? Mm. No, everyone knows they're <laughs> terrible.
4: <laughs>
0: Friends, check out oldmanblue.com.au. It's quality-made dive gear right there in the Western Australia by a really cool team. The Old Man Blue team are a very experienced bunch of frothing Spiros that live the life and have done so for a number of years. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Shrek, my dude. You're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life, and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many Noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, Noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our in-the-face apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Friends and Advanced Friends Video or the Mouthful and Deep Friends Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive sparing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get Twenty percent off any course. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, common mistakes. So you're taking out uh, a bunch of new people on a boat. They maybe they they've been shore diving for a long time, but they don't know boating. Um, what are just three things that you focus on making sure that they know?
3: Uh, main one is getting the motor started and if there's anything interesting or different about your motor that they have to know because some motors take a certain amount of sticking your tongue out, three pumps of the primer, turn the key twice kind of thing to get going. Mm. Uh, the other common mistake is, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this.
0: Waiting? Are you going to talk about how you sit in the boat when you're travelling? Oh, that, that's, that was your common complaint about me. Oh,
3: so that, that's difficult. It's like,
0: a small whale. Unfortunately with myself. Too much on that side. We're not travelling right. It's uneconomical.
3: And that comes to knowing your boat as well. But yes, having particularly in your deeper V-boats that Australians seem to really like, they do get quite tippy. So if you're a heavier individual, it's getting that feel of moving around so that the boat's actually sitting level on a level keel and it'll ride a lot better that way. So you're not taking as many hits. And unfortunately, like Shrek and myself, it gets to the point where I usually have to hold a rope tied off to the anchor cleat and shift an inch this way. And then the boat slightly turns. Now I've got to go another inch this way and just to keep it on the right level Um, wouldn't say that's a mistake a lot of people just don't know any different um, and you just educate them gently uh, with minor profanities Mm. Um, and what would be the third a third common mistake uh, usually just learning how to read a GPS Uh, it's a very modern thing but it can be tricky and if you're in closer to shore then collaborating the GPS information you have with landmarks Mm. so that you can understand that okay last time that house and that tree gave me a pretty good spot where I had to drop the, the divers off. So this yeah. time I can use that house and that tree and hit that same mark again.
0: So the same skills you use shore diving, like triangulation with landmarks come in handy, just as handy when you're out on a boat.
3: Or even miles offshore at a reef kind of thing. Learning your landmarks even underwater can help a lot when you're targeting and chasing fish. I'm terrible at that. I will help you. Okay.
0: Um... Out. Cool. I'm kind of stuck for boating questions. You guys have, um, like, uh, we could go in tons of different directions with it. With regards to boating safety, particularly thinking about targeting people that are newer to boats and they've never skipped a boat before. You guys have any questions? Have a think about it. We'll go to the audience. Um, any questions for you guys?
1: Um, I've got one. Um, so when you drop the divers in the water... How close do you stay towards the divers when you're in the boat? So obviously your divers will drift and they'll paddle around and they'll drift at different rates than what the boat will, especially if there's wind around.
3: I stay closer than most people like. Um, And every time the divers' heads come up, I will come downwind and down current of them, probably two or three metres away. And then as they do their dives, I'll slowly move back. But I like to stay kind of within, well and truly very close to the divers. But I'm, if anything, an over-attentive boaty. Uh, main one is, yeah, just make sure you're not going up current or upwind. That way you don't get pushed back onto the divers. So it's just learning where to come up, kind of sneak up behind them and then get pushed away by the wind instead of getting pushed onto them.
0: Sometimes you get overly keen boaties too and they stay right on you and the noise of the motor just seems to just spook everything too. So there is a fine.
3: Yeah. So it, w- the way I do it is I don't use heavy revs. So it's literally just going into I- just above idle moving your way back up slowly just while the boat they're on the su- surface. That way you're not interrupting their actual dive, then getting up and going in a neutral and then slowly allowing yourself to drift away while someone does their drop. Then when they come back up, slowly moving back up again. Here's another one. Well.
1: Um, do you leave the engine on the entire time or do you turn it off at any
3: point? Uh Due to my bad luck with boats and outboards, I turn it on in the morning and it gets turned off when I get back to the ramp. Um, just from sheer paranoia and having too many motors not want to turn back back on. Yeah. You've, got, uh,
0: you've just dropped Ben and Adriana off and then um, Ben and um, William. Then uh, uh, They're sort of like 150 metres apart. You've got 10 knots of wind, a metre of swell.
3: They get told to get back together.
0: Yeah, or, or what, what,
3: what do you do? So they, do you signal them aggressively? like uh, It'll all depend. <laughs> Usually I will drive up to whichever pair is swimming up current okay. and either tell them to move back to the other person or if they've gotten far enough apart, I'll pick up the other pair or the other group or the individual and take them back and put them with the group. Mm-hmm. And if they move away again... One punishment, I mean, educational tool we use is we'll go up current and up wind and turn the motor off and come back, and then they swim into the boat. Yeah. And you go, Well, if you're here and hit the boat, that's because you're not back there where you should be. Oh, I like that. That's dirty. Have you had like difficult
0: conversations with people in the water where they? Oh, won't certainly. Like, and there's a few people. I'm on who, the good
3: ground, bro. Yeah, there's a few people who get back to the ramp, and you've done everything you can to try and educate them and help them. And in the end, you just have to say, until you decide to change your way, you won't be on my boat again.
0: Do you wait till you've been given the fuel money before you have that conversation? <laughs> what is fuel money? <laughs> uh, all right. Next question.
3: Oh, right down the back, making me walk. Yeah, that's right. You run, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, was just, I was just wondering, um, have you had any experience, we were speaking earlier about the VMR issue, um, signing in off, whatever, um, about personal beacons, like spot trackers and uh, increasing the IP rating of them because only got an IP rating to about 10 metres, like double wrapping them essentially and sort of getting around the idea of having to check in with VMR so people can track you online. And things like that. Have you sort of been involved with anything like that at all? I haven't had one personally. Uh, guy I dive with, uh, Sean Lipke, uses one that he uses when he does like massive enduro rides. that sits on his dash that gives a signal to and from every so often, and that seems to work very well. Uh, he just has it set up. Next is um, sounder unit. And it's got four buttons and you can either send a ping or it just automatically keeps track of where his boat is. And that goes back to his wife who then can keep track of where we are and what we're doing. It's a tricky one in the modern world. I don't think people would allow you to take one that isn't theirs onto their boat because they could worry about you kind of stealing marks and things like that. But as a boat owner, I think they are a very good thing. Or as long as you tell the skipper that you're not there to steal marks, it's purely as a safety thing. They can be quite good. Um, a few comp divers have even been putting them on their boat floats. Um, so they're not a bad little idea. Expensive though, which is a shame.
0: The Spiro secrecy codes with spots. Um, yeah, it's easy to muck that one up. Like a lot of people will get annoyed if they think you're stealing spots.
3: You can get um, like small personal eBurbs. you know, just the little, little ones. And whenever we're a long way away, that goes on to somebody's float. So if you don't get back to the boat, you've always got that. And also, sat phones these days are pretty cheap. So if you're going, you know, Swains, Coral Sea, you've got somewhere, some way to contact someone. And if something goes wrong, oh, definitely. And those little personal ePurbs are a brilliant idea. Like I think even we stock some here that work quite well. Um, for staff or for normal oh, for the people.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Being, I was just—I'll pass that over to our sales manager.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was just going to uh, say, uh, ben, you can Call
3: your wife on your anniversary, mate, with one of those. Um, but yeah, the personal ones are quite good. You've even got ones now that have little waterproof houses housings that you can actually have on your dive belt at all times. So there's a few different ones that I was educated upon after being misplaced at nine mile and having to swim back in. And everyone's like, oh, you can buy these now. I'm like, that's brilliant. Would have been great yesterday.
0: Uh, Any last questions for Trev?
3: So Trev, one for those that aren't as experienced in boaties as you, what would you recommend in terms of sizes going and how far in terms of size of vessel for going offshore? It kind of depends on the positive flotation of the vessel. Um, we started out and I think the furthest we've been in the smallest was we took a 4.5 meter tinny out to rock cod and we ended up breaking all the ribs and having to bail it all the way back in so that the smaller boats can't really take the punishment. But if you've got, let's say a, a rigid hull inflatable, that's only four meters long and you have enough fuel that will kind of get you out there and get you back, but it won't be particularly comfortable. And yeah, there are littler boats that are, can kind of handle it, but not, it's very tricky it all depends on the seaworthiness of the small vessel
0: that was awkward with your phone going off I'm so professional aren't I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just subtly mentioned it Mention what yeah exactly. um, awesome Trev that was magic guys that, that was awesome from everyone um, any final questions that you guys thought of for anyone else otherwise we'll rack, wrap the sucker up and just fraternize a bit I think and have a few brews
3: Would you want to ask questions about anything else? Sorry, ask them if they had any questions about other topics?
0: Yeah, yeah. Any safety-related questions or even we'll just chuck it open, broader spearfishing questions. Just far away, Luke. Yeah. Can you give us a two-minute story of your nine-mile
1: experience and then take that back to what you learned from it?
3: Or what could have been done better? Oh, 100%. No. So the way I got misplaced at Nine Mile, I broke two of my own rules, unfortunately. One was allowing the boatie to do something else while they were boating. They did a little bit of line fishing. Uh, And the other one was, it was a very weird day and there was no one else at Nine Mile. So we usually, even on the real guns, we'll take a float with a five-meter bungee and kind of pass it between us, depending on who's on the surface. And that's more... At that point, it was for boat safety, so other boats in the area could see us. Because there were no other boats out there, we went, ah, we'll just leave that in the boat. So it's physically there in the boat. And unfortunately, somewhere in that mix of things, we got misplaced. And then the skipper went up current because, unfortunately, it was his son that he'd misplaced, who was my dive buddy. And then his heart rate went up and the adrenaline went going and he wasn't thinking clearly. So he drove back to where he dropped us off. And unfortunately, we just kept drifting further and further away. Um, And at that point, you're two little specks in a big blue ocean. And it's a lot very difficult to get found, particularly when you're trying to yell up wind. By that stage, there was no way he'd kind of hear us. So we um, decided to go for a swim. And I think we made it about two thirds of the way back in by the time they found us in the helicopter and picked us up.
0: Did you suffer any ill effects or did you dive buddy?
3: I'm okay. I've got spare food and I was wearing dive socks. Unfortunately, Dylan was a bit younger and a bit wirier and had forgotten his dive socks, so his feet were pretty torn up and he was getting very tired and very dehydrated and things, but I just kept egging him on and making fun of him so that he was then swimming to prove to me how manly he was. So he he was fine at that point.
1: (laughs)
0: What a great guy to get stuck with in that situation.
3: Look, rage is a great motivator and it can get people through some very trying times.
0: Trevor, your face was looking very excited when you stepped out of the helicopter.
3: I'm sure. Yeah, free helicopter ride. <laughs>
4: uh,
3: I was also, oh, a, I, I managed to keep my spear gun by strapping it to the back of my leg and hiding it because I saw they made Dylan throw his away because they wouldn't let it in the helicopter. So I kind of tied mine to me and got to the helicopter door and I was like, ha-ha, and then kind of put it on the floor.
0: Spearfishing shouldn't be synonymous with helicopter rides, but you're not alone. Like I know at least four or five people that have been uh, helicoptered. Um, so yeah, it's, it is something to be said, like good boating practices, good safety equipment, possibly having an EPIRB or a personal locator device, hundred percent. They're becoming more available too and cheaper these days. Yes. No,
3: technology in times has certainly made things a lot easier. Like, can you imagine back in the olden days of the comps where that amazing lady got stuck off masthead for days, like the amount of personal fortitude that would require and back then there is no EPIRB, there is no helicopter, you just—you are literally out there alone. It would have been horrific. Very tough lady. You should find her and interview her. Yes, she's on the list. Okay. Yeah,
0: I haven't read her book yet either. She awesome. wrote a book about it, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a brilliant book. Rick, um, Rick Batua also, uh, another person with harrowing mm-hmm. stories I've got to get on as well. Oh, he's uh,
3: unkillable. So many things and people have tried.
0: I don't know if that was appropriate.
3: <laughs> no, he is unkillable. Rick is, Rick is one of the nicest, kindest people you ever meet, but tough as nails, man. Yeah, I
0: remember seeing him probably the first time I ever saw him was on that Tim um, 138 kilo black Marlin vid, uh, and they were all out there off Brisbane shooting that with a real gun and he helped rope the thing and put it on that 16, poor thing.
3: Uh, they don't count, those boys are cyborgs. Yeah, far enough. All right, any final questions guys? Um, you talked a lot about taking divers out and having
4: someone on board to be the skipper. Say you're heading out with your partner and one frame you both be in the water and so you need a buddy to dive. Do you have any tips for leaving your boat anchored on a day that you would hope you would head out with little wind and little swell?
3: As, as long as there's low enough current and you're both competent enough divers to get back to your boat, then that's fine. Uh, the other one is to yeah really kind of keep track of where your boat is. But I'll pass over to Adriana as she does a lot more individual diving than I do. I'm very fixed on that minimum three kind of go out and always have someone in the boat because after you've had to swim down boats, it's horrible. With once that wind catches it and the currents go in a slightly different direction it's a hell of a swim trying to catch up to your boat. What tricks do you have?
4: Um, wow. I'm actually I found myself in that situation at the moment because I've my husband's sort of getting a little bit into spearfishing because we had a tinny and now we've actually bought a really cool boat so uh going out a bit um and on the Gold Coast it's really tricky like we've always got current something really similar I didn't get a helicopter because not that important but literally like a reef within a couple of kilometres I had the same thing happen and that's sort of the nature of the Gold Coast. If you don't have your eye on someone, it's big reef and lots of current, you're sort of gone. So as far as anchoring, there's only like you would really choose your location and on the Gold Coast that's almost nowhere. Like, I'm just trying to even think like on Kingscliff maybe on a really nice day or Hastings there's a couple of spots but, yeah, you're always at mercy of the current and that sort of thing. I,
0: I had a person, um, it's a well-known reef in about 10 or 11 metres um, sort of off the northern end of Morton, sort of sandy, shoaly, coffee rock type area. Um, the current screams through there. We arrived on sweet old high tide and he's like, oh, that's good enough. I'll chuck the anchor out. There's five of us and he wants to get in the water too. So through threw the anchor out and then the tide turned of, as it does there and within half an hour we are all like. Uh, overarming, trying to get back to the boat. And we just got there and I was wrecked and I was swearing at him and he's like, what was the big deal? It took half an hour to swim 100 metres. That's the
4: worst feeling and you're watching the same grains of sand and just going, oh, my God, just kill me. you just think about giving up. It's like, is it really worth it? (laughs)
0: Yeah. But in other parts of the world where they don't deal with um, current, they always look at you like, oh, what do you need a a boatie for? Um, But even if you are in other areas where it's not so, like, bad for current, you've still got the benefits of, like, getting your fish on the boat and out of the water and away from the sharks and, you know, and being able to make sure all the people are in a rough sort of area. Yeah. So.
4: That's it. So we do dive together and it's not ideal because it's just the two of us on a boat, but I think about the type of diving that we're doing. It's like, again, just use the Gold Coast because that's my backyard. So I wouldn't be going out to Nine Mile and, you know, chasing reef fish and, Doing any ambush hunting or laying on the bottom, but I might go out like we love to go and chase Spanish, and they're a nice, you know, mid-water column fish, and you can see from the surface. And but I, I'm really hesitant because I've done all these things, i had this experience, and I've gotten to a place where I'm very comfortable. And I go out. I've I actually even got myself a ski, so I do a lot it of, um, spearfishing off a jet ski by myself. Um, but when it comes to my husband, it's the same. I'm like this horrible helicopter parent. I'm pretty sure I'm killing the enjoyment of it for him because I'm so worried all the time that. Um, yeah it's about picking the type of diving that you're doing, I think and being really conservative. I would say that I'm always conservative with the way that I dive, but um, yeah there's, there's just some things you if you don't have another person that's just not feasible so really picking your days, your weather, your location, and the type of hunting that you want to do
1: Yeah, I was just going to say I used to do a lot of diving when I didn't have a big network with just one other person and we We'd um, both be in the water a lot, and we quite often drift, so let the boat drift. Um, and I've probably had two or three experiences that uh, turned me off ever doing that again. Uh, long swims. I've lost guns trying to chase after a boat. Um, and then I think uh, and then just in terms of helicopters,'ve I've been on the other end where I'm the one calling, calling the helicopter as the boatie, having lost uh, a couple of divers. Um, I was just going to ask you before, Trev, just on, on that experience with Dylan, is there anything that the boat, the body could have done in hindsight differently apart from the paying a bit more attention and not fishing?
3: Pretty much paying just that Probably little bit more More, more after
1: he lost, after uh, he lost you unfortunately, guys. Unfortunately, after he, he
3: lost us, he just didn't have that background knowledge and his adrenaline was so high. Like by the time he got back to the ramp, he was just white. He, yeah. Mm. So, and once your adrenaline kicks in, you're... Cognitive functions are kind of trashed, Mm. unfortunately. So it'd be great to sit here and say, oh, you could have done this and this and this. And there's a a myriad of things he could have done. But if, as a parent, if I was in that situation and I've just lost my child, Mm -hmm. you can just imagine all the things running through his head that would be blocking him from going, okay, the current's going that way, the wind's going that way. I'll keep going this way and see if I can find them. You'd just be, unfortunately a slave to your own, not emotions, but just bodies, chemical, yeah. fight and flight responses. Uh, sorry, but yes, to get back to that question, there are certain places uh, you can anchor up and it is low current. Uh, certain reefs, I don't want to ruin things for locals, but particularly on the Sunshine Coast are in like big bays and big eddies. So you don't get as much current there and you can get some like back currents. Uh, and the other one is as soon as you get in, swim down and just, hook your anchor hard around something just to make sure it's good and always really keep an eye on the fact that your rope's not touching any coral uh, because that's the most common one to losing a boat is either the de-shackle pin vibrates out or the rope's rubbing on a bit of rock or a bit of coral and just cuts and then you come back and your boat's a kilometre away.
0: So many things in life I think we learn the hard way but in spearfishing can't really do that a lot of the time and examining things in hindsight can sometimes be a really awful experience particularly if there wasn't a good outcome I think one thing I've loved about the podcast is hearing heaps of stories and we can all learn from it rather than having to do it ourselves Um, so thanks for sharing that story Trev and Adriana with your stories and Ben as well Um, they're powerful and lessons for us all well I've had a ball, I've had an absolute blast Trevor, Adriana, Ben Absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks, Adreno, for hosting us. And, um, yeah, Magic, Jeremy,
3: your religion. Thank you, everyone, for coming.
0: Always. We'll have a few thanks. (laughs) Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We had a really... Magic panel, and I just want to thank Jeremy for putting it all together. Um, some really um, talented people in a great panel. Ben Eckhart, Adriana Barnes, and Trevor Kitchen. Thanks, guys, for making this night what it was. I had an absolute blast, and there was a ton of good info in there. Hey, um, if you love the podcast and you want to get even more supportive, other than you know the people that just froth on it and share it with their mates and buy shirts and whatever, uh, all of it's appreciated. All of it helps. But if you want to go that next level, Go on patreon.com uh, forward slash noobsparrow and join 52 other legends powering the Noobsparrow podcast, putting fuel in the artboard. Uh, much appreciated to them. There's three levels you can do that at. Um, and all of that money goes to funding trips and crazy business like that. So, patreon.com forward slash Noob Jump on there, have a look. All good. Hey, we're back in a week. We're doing live seafood cooking with Daniel Mann. Oh, yeah. Catch you then.
2: Hi, new Noob Spear listeners. It's Chris Dillon here uh, from Spear Junkies. Yeah, it's been a uh, busy couple of years uh, since I was on the show. Um, haven't had as many great trips as I managed to get out of the whole Spear Junkies uh, ex- escapades, but uh, doing some diving in our local waters, mainly up in Cape Vidal, which is in northern Zululand, north of Durban. Uh, getting some very nice king mackerel up there. Uh, I was diving with my good friend, Mark Jackson, and he shot a 258-kilogram black marlin with a real gun, which was quite a feat. Uh, Managed to land that fish, so that was pretty exciting. Um, Also starting to experiment a bit with drop weighting, uh, using uh, eight kilos of weight to pull you down to the bottom and removing quite a bit of the weight off your weight belt. Uh, Started doing that in Cannon Rocks on our last trip down there and got some really amazing fish. So it's really a way to boost your your ability to sit on the bottom and to come up really easily. So yeah, I can't uh, can't wait to get back in the water and try out some more drop weighting. I know at the worlds. That's the way the guys are getting to those 55, 60 meter depths. I'm not going for that. Just uh, 30, maybe 35 meters max. Um, keep it safe and try and get some really good fish. So hoping to sneak in one more trip to Vital before the end of the year. Uh, maybe a couple of trips to Cannon Rocks or dive in the Eastern Cape in um, East London where I've started a fish farm, actually farming cob and yellowtail uh, up in East London now, uh, supplying fish for about a year already. Uh, We're farming in a recirculating aquaculture system on the land, so that's going quite well. Still struggling to sell the spear junkies, Footage, So we put it, what we did have on and re-edited onto YouTube so you can watch all 11 episodes of 10 minutes of Spear Junkies for free on YouTube. If you just go to YouTube and search Spear Junkies episodes, uh, you'll you'll see all 11 episodes are there together. Uh, I think it's Spear Junkies season one and you can watch all 11 episodes of what we we, we did on uh, Madagascar, Mozambique, uh, latham island and a few other places so quite exciting to to watch that if you haven't watched it yet uh yeah haven't listened to noobspire for a while so i must get back onto that but i hope shake him turbo are well and uh wishing you all the best from south africa cheers mate.
0: Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. The Noob Spirit Podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the U.S. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the U.S. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at Neptonics.com. Use the code Noob at Neptonics.com.